growing up. Um, I grew up in the 80s as a child and you know, it was one of those times, I think for a lot of people, you know, it's, it was a time when there just wasn't a lot of money. Um, I grew up in a pretty, you know, sort of low income house. You know, we weren't impoverished. There was always food on the table and there was a roof over our heads. You know, we had the bare minimum. Um, but like many families in that time, it was it was a struggle. Um, there, was a, there was a recession, certainly in the early 90s. Um, and we just never had any money. It was whatever we had was just enough to get by. Um, and there was certainly never any excess. You know, we, we went to the shops. There was never enough money to buy my sister and I lollies or, or anything that, like that. It was, but again, it's not a world was me. It was just a pretty standard circumstance for, um, for a lot of people growing up in that time. And so I remember uh, growing up in that sort of environment, you, you never really learn how to handle money. Because you never you've never got money. Like you, um, I, I never saw how my parents struggled to get by. You know, there was always food on the table, and you just take for granted that that's all you've got. That, that's you've you've got the bare minimum. And so from that sort of going from having nothing, when I was old enough to get my first job, I must be fourteen or something. Um, I got my first job working in a super, in the local supermarket, and and all of a sudden. Um, you know, I went from having no money to having tens of dollars every week. Um, you know, it wasn't huge amounts of money that I was making, but it was certainly far more than I'd, I'd ever had in my, my life before that. But again, because I had never had any experience with how to handle money, um, I didn't know what to do with it. I, I didn't know certainly how to save. I had no discipline around money. That, that had never been something that had been instilled in me. And so when I got money, I just spent it. You know, it was just money in, money out. I, I've got money and there's this thing that I want to buy. And I didn't know that I wanted this thing before, but five minutes ago, I realized this thing existed. And suddenly I know I now I need to have it. And so I went and bought it. And that's just kind of how the cycle went. Um, you know, I just money would come in and money would go out and there was never any money saved. It was just, that's, that's it. That's all I had. And, and that's how it sort of worked. Now that's all good and well when you're making tens of dollars a week, you know, when you're a teenager and you're making a bit of spare from spare money from a couple of hours working at a checkout. But that as a habit becomes very problematic when you get start to get more money coming in and you starting to take on more responsibilities like a car loan or when you're having to, you know, pay for your own petrol or pay for your own clothes or starting to pay board or all of these different things. As I started to earn more money and I was, you know, working in, left school, working in full-time employment and starting to take on more responsibilities, I'd never actually learned the proper principles for how to handle money or steward money properly. I'd never learned to save. I'd never had the discipline of saving or for thinking ahead to bills that might be coming later on down the track and preparing myself for those it was always just well I've got money I spend it and then when the bill came like oh where am I going to find the money for this all of a sudden it you know it hit me and it was all very very bad so this just kind of kept going but as you can imagine the circumstances got worse and worse because I, I never had any money in reserve um, but then when I was old enough I suddenly was now old enough to get a credit card uh, and this seem to be the solution to all my, all my problems. Uh, I don't need to worry about whatever might be ahead of me because I've got a credit card to cover that. Or in the meantime, I've got this credit card with all this money on it that I can use to buy all the stuff that I can't afford with the money that I do earn. 
And so, again, you, you know where this story is going. It's a familiar story for many people. And I just got myself into all sorts of debt and I was just constantly in this vicious cycle of living paycheck to paycheck, throw a, a pokey addiction in there for a short season when I was old enough to go to, to clubs. Um, it, it all just compounded on itself and it all got really, really ugly. And it was this way for quite a few years. Uh, you know, I was married, we got married when I was 23 and I'd never fixed these problems. I, I'd never... Um, figured out how to get myself out of this accumulating debt that I got myself into. It was always my whole life and everything I was doing in my work was just about servicing this debt. And so when we got married, you know, I didn't, all I really brought to the marriage was debt and was just all of these financial strains that, um, that, that I'd brought along with it. Now, uh, over the course of the years leading up to that, different people had come along and, and sort of given me bailouts. Um, you know, my what, what is my now wife, my girlfriend at the time, um, you know, she would occasionally come along and just pay off the credit card. You know, she was starting to work and so she sort of helped me out and pay the credit card off. Uh, and other times I'd get sort of a windfall and I'd, you know, pay off a, a particular debt. But it wasn't long before I got back into it. Because again, the discipline was never instilled in me of how to actually handle money properly. And so it was just this continual cycle of just financial stress and, and difficulties and, and suffering uh, through just my own bad behavior, my, my own poor uh, handling of money. Well, eventually I, I really just sort of woke up to myself. We, we, we were living in my parents-in-law's garage we'd turn that into, into a granny flat we were studying at the time and we so we had the opportunity to live there for very minimal rent um, whilst we sort of got ourselves in a position to get some study done and maybe get a house well eventually we realized we, we want to buy a house but that was just never going to happen with the debts that i'd accumulated and with the financial um uh mishandling that that characterized the way i went about things something had to change there there had to be uh, a it wasn't we couldn't just get a bailout it couldn't just be that someone we're going to get a windfall and that was going to buy a house if we were going to achieve uh this big financial win of buying a house we needed to or i needed to change myself i i i couldn't just um get a get another handout that was going to get me out of the debt and that would clear the slate and we'd start again. No, I actually had to go through it. I actually had to change who I was and the way that I went about things so that we could move out of that difficult situation that we were in. And so the, the solution then wasn't um, just a miracle. The solution was uh, a season. I we I had to go through that season of retraining myself and and learning how to handle money properly, so that to begin with to get out of the debt and then beyond that to start to save, actually create the discipline of saving. Now all of that took time. It took a good couple of years for us to do that for and for me to change myself and change the way that I I handled money so that we could not just have enough money to get a deposit and buy a house, but then to actually pay a mortgage, right? We were paying like 50 bucks a week in rent to go from that to paying hundreds of dollars a week to a mortgage was going to require discipline that at the time I certainly didn't have. And if, if, if you'd thrown a mortgage on top of all of my other bad financial habits, it would have been bankruptcy. It would have been an absolute nightmare. 
So all of that had to change. And the way that it was going to change was to go through the season, was actually to go through the suffering and, and go through the pain of and the discipline that was required to move ourselves out of that. But the great news is that we did. Well, I did. It, it changed my whole way of living and my whole way of handling money. And not only did we get, did I, we get out of that debt, but we bought the house. And we've since then had financial, at least stability, um, not necessarily financial riches, but the, the habits that I needed to have instilled in me by going through that hard time are the things that then benefited me going forward so that we could have further prosperity and further success 20 odd years later, here we are today, still bearing the fruit from that difficulty that we had to go through in the first place. But even more than that, one of the cool things that came out of it was that since then, I've been able to sit down with people. There's one particular couple I remember with a couple from church who were in exactly the same situation as, as we were, only both of them were working, making a lot of money, but had nothing to show for it. All they had to show for it was, was debt. And so I sat down with this couple and we just sort of told them our story and went through the processes with them that we went through, showed them how we do budgets and all the rest of it. They, we, it took us years to get from, you know, where we were to buying a house. They went from horrible debt to six months later, bought a house. I mean, it was just an um, absolute overnight turnaround, but applying the principles, applying these disciplines, and it just totally revolutionized their lives. So the point I'm saying, the reason I'm telling you all of this story is that there are times w w when we come into these difficult circumstances, there's a, a point or there's a recognition that we have to have that we just have to go through it that sometimes there are difficult situations that we face that causes suffering, that causes uncomfortable um, experience, but we have to go through them because it's in going through them that something better emerges from that. And really that's the point I want to get to today in today's episode. What we saw last week was that um, when in the first century, in the, in the context of Jesus and of Paul, you have these philosophers who are their real main aim, their objective is to help people to deal with suffering, to deal with the difficulties of life. And they're, they're different philosophies and they're different ways in which they would do that. When the Christian message came along, people just assumed it was a philosophy because they were doing the same thing. They were offering people a way to uh, to get through the suffering to or, or a better understanding of what it was and how to deal with it. And the point we finished on was to simply point out that when Jesus came and, and, and began this Christian message, he didn't come as some superior um, <clears throat> super being that said, you know, people should never go through suffering and we should um, let me show you how to never have a bad day ever again. No, no, he went to the cross. He went into the jaws of the worst suffering imaginable, but then came through it. And in doing that, that was more than just, oh, Jesus died to save us from our sins and to give us eternal life. No, what Jesus did on the cross was to give us a model of how we need to understand suffering in this life and understand what God's response to it is and what God um, expects from us or wants to um, develop in us when we face those same circumstances.
And so I want to look today, I want to deal with this question of why suffering? Why do we go through it? What, what is the point of it? And, and really, what is the objective or, or what is it that can be gained from suffering? Uh, and what does the New Testament really have to say about that? So that's what we're going to look at in today's episode. And I think one of the frustrating things um, that they would have had hanging around with Jesus was that he was never, very often wasn't clear about anything. You know, they'd say to him, Jesus, when are you coming back? When's, when's the, the, the last day? He's like, well, the day and the hour is unknown. Even though I don't know it, the father knows it, but the son doesn't even know it. So in other words, yeah, I'm not really sure. Or they'd ask him a question and he'd answer in a parable. He'd tell them a story and it's like, you can, there's the answers in there. You've kind of got to figure it out for yourself. And if you can't figure it out, it's because you probably do, you don't have the understanding. And so there was never really much clarity around Jesus. It was always kind of, you know, figure it out for yourself. But on this one point, he's exceptionally clear. I mean, he is absolutely explicitly black and white clear. And this is the that we're going to go through hard times. So he says this, he says, Behold, the hour is coming, indeed it has come, when you'll be scattered, each to his own home, and you will leave me alone. Yet I am not alone, for the Father is with me. I've said these things to you, that in me you may have peace. In this world you will have tribulation. But take heart, I have overcome the world. Crystal clear, absolutely crystal clear about this one point is that in this world you will have tribulation, you will have suffering. That is the absolute one inevitability apart from death, which is the ultimate suffering, is you're going to go through a lot of suffering before you get to the ultimate suffering, which is death. That is crystal clear. So he doesn't hold anything back, which is just amazing to me when you think about the when we preach Jesus and we don't even mention the word suffering. The one thing Jesus is clear about, we'll spend all of this time trying to figure out the day and the hour and when Jesus is coming back and what are all the signs of the second coming. And Jesus is like, even I don't know what those things are, but on this one point, when he's crystal clear, we don't really want to talk about that. But nevertheless, he is ultra, ultra clear about that point. But then we see it embodied in himself in the garden and at the cross. So we read the story in, in Luke 22. It says, And he withdrew from them about a stone's throw and knelt down and prayed, saying, Father, if you're willing, remove this cup from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. And there appeared to him an angel from heaven, strengthening him. And being in agony, he prayed more earnestly, and his sweat became like great drops of blood falling down to the ground. There's so much going on here, but there's kind of this dual response that we find in Jesus. On the one hand, you've got his flesh saying, God, take this away. I, I don't want those nails to be driven through my wrists and, and through my feet. I don't want to be whipped almost to the point of death and beaten almost to the point of death. I don't want, my flesh doesn't want to go through that. If there's any other way, can we please work this out? But then the spirit in him overcoming that saying, but, but I know that this is the only way. And if this is your will, then let it be done. And even in the midst of this story, what just stands out is that there's this angel gets sent from heaven and you think, oh, finally, maybe God's answered the prayer. Like maybe this angel's going to be the one to go through the suffering so that I don't have to go. No, no, no. The angel was the answer from God. It was a message from God. But the answer, the angel's answer is, well, let me just give you more strength to go through it. Not, I'm going to take it away from you, but uh, I'll give you the strength so that you can actually do the thing that has to be done. And so at the very core, at the very beginning of the Christian message is this. It's Jesus facing up to human suffering and 
in his flesh, in his honest flesh, saying, I don't want to go through this, but in his logical, spiritual understanding, realizing, but I know I have to. And really what that embodies for us is our own response. Because when we go, when we face hard times, of course we don't want to go through them. Of course we don't want to suffer through difficult times. There's nothing pleasant about going through that sort of torment. And so we want to do everything we can to avoid it and we'll negotiate and do whatever we can to escape it. But then what God wants to draw out of us is that spiritual element, that that inner person that recognizes, no, but I know I have to because there's something waiting for me at the other end of this. And so that's modeled in Jesus. Well, that's, that's the model that we need to embrace and we need to embody in our own Christian walk. One of the things I find so fascinating about the, um, the New Testament <clears throat> is that, you know, we talk always about prosperity. We talk about, um, you know, God wanting to give us all of this great stuff and never have a bad day in our lives. And if you go through a bad day, it's probably because you've got a lack of faith and all of this silliness that we go on with. One of the most remarkable things about the New Testament is that there actually is a Greek word for prosperity, to go well or to prosper. It's the word euoduo. Um, and it literally just means to go well, to, it means to prosper. Interestingly, though, it only turns up three times in the entire New Testament. And only once does it have some sort of relation to going through a good time. And that's in 3 John 2, where it says, Dear friend, I pray that you may enjoy good health and that, you may, that things may go well with you, even as your soul is getting along well. Now, we go, oh, there it is. That's the point. That's what God wants from us. He wants good health and that everything will go well for us. Uh, no. <laughs> well, that's, that's nice and God's not opposed to that, but that's not his sole purpose for us. And when you particularly consider that this is just like a greeting, this is like when you say, to, you meet somebody or you say goodbye to somebody and you go, I hope you have a great day. Well, you're not going to say to them, I hope you have a bad day. You're not going to say to them, I wish you ill fortune and that everything would go wrong in your life. Of course, you're not going to say that. You're not going to, you're going to, you send somebody an email and you say, I hope this finds you well. Well, you're not going to say, well, I hope this finds you in a terrible state and I, and I wish nothing but pain on you. Like, of course, you're not going to say that. That's just bad manners. Whenever you greet somebody, as this letter is doing, you're going to greet them and say, I hope things are going well for you. It's just a nice thing to say. It is not the basis on which we build all of our theology that God only wants us to have a great time every single time. It's just a nice thing to say. So this idea of prosperity, it's not the focus of the New Testament. The only other two times that this word turns up, 1 Corinthians 16.2 and Romans 1, 9 to 10, it doesn't, you wouldn't even recognize it. In Corinthians, it says, on the first day of every week, each of you should set aside a sum of money in keeping with your income. The word, that's the word, you owe, you owe to her, in keeping with your income. What has that even got to do with prosperity? Well, nothing. Saving it up so that when I, the, 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 when I come, no collection will have to be made. Um, in Romans 1.10, it says, and I pray that now at last, by God's will, the way may be opened up for me to come to you. You go, well, where's the word? It's the, the way may be opened up for me, that I might actually be able to get there. That's prosperity as far as this word is concerned. Now, those are the only three times in the whole New Testament that this word prosperity turns up or to prosper turns up. And yet, on the other hand, the word for suffering, the words flips, flipsis, pathema, in total, 
These words, the word thlipsis and its variations, it's literally physical suffering or oppression, turns up 55 times. And then the word pathema, or literally to suffer, turns up um, 58 times. In other words, it's everywhere in the New Testament. This understanding, this acknowledgement that suffering is just a reality and that this is what the New Testament's focus is on, is on every page of the New Testament. It is all about a recognition of suffering and not the, I pray that you prosper and never, never have a bad day, but rather there is going to be suffering. Here's the solution. Here's what the suffering is about. Here's the way to, uh, uh, to understand it and to approach it. And so at the heart of Christianity, there's always been this recognition that the core of the Christian message is God showing us a way through these difficulties, uh, showing us how to confront and, and handle these difficult times. And, and this goes all the way back to the earliest church. This is what the, the first onlookers noticed uh, about these these early Christians, we've got this great quote here from from Lucian, and he's he's sort of disparaging the Christians, but what he's acknowledging in them is um, is this very thing. So this is what he has to say about the Christians. He says the poor wretches have convinced themselves first and foremost that they're going to be immortal and live for all time. In consequence of which they despise death and even even willingly give themselves into custody. Most of them. Furthermore, their first lawgiver persuaded them that they're all brothers of one another, and after they've transgressed once for all by denying the Greek gods and by worshipping that crucified sophist himself and living under his laws. Therefore, they despise all things indiscriminately and consider them common property, receiving such doctrines traditionally without definite evidence. So if any charlatan and trickster able to profit occasions comes, he may quickly acquire sudden wealth and be imposed upon simple folk. So, but you notice the point there, that... What was characteristic about the Christians is this: is they just despise death, that they're willing to go through the worst sort of circumstances, which is exactly what the philosophers were, were striving towards. They recognize that same thing in these Christian groups. So anyway, I mean, that's all a bit, of a bit of a background to what we're going to talk about. So what does the New Testament then have to say? What, what is um, the message of the New Testament when it comes to suffering? Well, there's, there's several things we're going to look at. Uh, and that's what we're going to sort of cover for the rest of this episode. So there are a couple of sort of stories or passages here that I wanted to to look at and just some of the principles around suffering. Again, acknowledging that suffering really is, it's, it's not that God wants us to suffer. It's recognizing that suffering is a reality. It's like you, know, you say, oh, why, why am I suffering? Well, it's kind of like swimming in water and saying, why am I wet? You suffer because you're alive. You suffer because you live in a world that is broken and that is hurting and that is causing suffering. It's just it, it's, it's just our reality. So it's, it's unavoidable. And the New Testament and the message of Christ is never to avoid it. Um, it's not to deny it. It's to front up to it, to fully acknowledge it, but to also have the capacity to have the understanding to be able to go through it, to be able to deal with it in the most appropriate and the most godly way. And so that's what we see all throughout the New Testament. That really is at the core of the New Testament message. So I want to look at a couple of examples here of some different passages that 
that sort of speak to this and, and what the principles are. And the first principle, I guess, I'd suggest would be that um, we go through suffering because there's a lesson that we need to learn or there's a characteristic that we need to, do, we need to develop. Um, there's just times where we need to learn something and the only way we can do it is to go through a hard time. Uh, we, you know, if we want to get an education, we need to go through study. We need to sacrifice. We need to pay the cost of all of the things we could be doing and go through the the struggle of, of reading and comprehension in order to gain knowledge that we might require for something else. And we, we see this, we want to get healthy. We need to go through some suffering of, of exercise in, in order to get that physical health. It, it to get something good, to get something worthwhile is going to require from us some struggle, some sacrifice in order to get there. So there's a great story. It's in Luke 22. It's just before the uh, the crucifixion. It's Jesus talking to, to Peter. He says, Simon, Simon, behold, Satan demanded to have you that he might sift you like wheat, but I've prayed for you that your faith may not fail. And when you've turned again, strengthen your brothers. Peter said to him, Lord, I'm ready to go with you both to prison and to death. Jesus said, I tell you, Peter, the rooster will not crow this day until you deny me, deny three times that you know me. Now, first of all, I don't even, I just like fascinated by this conversation. Um, Jesus was just hanging out with Satan and Satan says, hey, Jesus, I've got this uh, great idea. I wanted to test one of your disciples with any suggestions. Oh, yeah, yeah, Peter. Um, you know, it's been a bit of a pain lately, so maybe just put him through a hard time. I, I, I don't even know how that works. I'm not even going to try to speculate on what the conversation between Jesus and Satan was. But at any rate, he's saying, Peter, Satan has demanded to have you that he might sift you like wheat. Now, your default response would be to say, oh, great, okay, Jesus, and you, you you told him to go to hell, right? Like you told him just to get stuffed. Like, you know, hey, man, Peter's my guy. Leave him alone. You know, he's he doesn't belong to you anymore. Like you would assume that's what Jesus would have done. I mean, that's kind of the, the prosperity message we preach, that when suffering comes along, we pray and Jesus takes it away from us. Like isn't that how it's supposed to be? Jesus, no, 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 I didn't say anything like that. Um, what I did instead was to pray that, he didn't crush you, <laughs> that your faith wouldn't fail in the midst of it. Now, we know what that's about. You know, Peter's about to deny Christ and go through all the struggle. And we talked about that actually a few episodes ago in Stories of Redemption about Peter. Um, but notice Jesus' response. It's not, um, no, I told Satan to go away. No, it's no, it's going to happen. That's in, absolutely inevitable. What I want for, what I prayed for, what I'm hoping for in you will, is that you'll have the faith to achieve it. I don't even necessarily know if you're going to get through it, but I know you have to in order to do the ministry that you're called to. And again, I sort of refer you back to that previous podcast where Simon or Peter needed to recognize there was an attitude in him, there was an expectation in him about Jesus that was wrong. Uh, he, and so he needed that exposed. He needed to go through this suffering of denying Christ in order to see in himself this thing that actually would have shipwrecked his ministry later on. Had he held on to this attitude, it would have destroyed him much further down the track and in a situation where there was much more relying on him. It was going to be a cause much greater damage had this thing remained in Peter. And so Jesus needed to deal with it. He needed to get rid of this for Peter to be able to, to do what he was called to do. And so he had to go through this. And so Jesus' prayer is not, hey, Satan, get the hell out of here. His prayer is, hey, 
Peter, I'm praying that you will have the faith to get through this. And then after that, once you've got through it, then you can come back and strengthen your brothers. Then you're actually going to have the uh, understanding, the revelation, the capacity, the strength of, of going through this to be able to help others. But you can't get that until you go through this circumstance. So in some cases, as in this one, there are hard times we have to go through because there's lessons that we need to learn or there's characteristics that we need to develop so that we can do greater things at the other end of them. Hey, I just wanted to take a moment to say thank you so much for listening. Uh, I really hope you're finding this podcast helpful. Uh, if you're enjoying it, please consider leaving a five-star review. That's really going to help me to or get, help this podcast to, to get further out there and to get into the hands of other people. So please consider doing that. Uh, and also, if you, you might enjoy the YouTube channel attached to this and the other social media. You can find the links for all of that in the show notes below. And you might even consider supporting the channel financially. Uh, if that's the case, then you can also find the way to do that through that same link in the show notes. But anyway, back to the show. I think one of the second things that um, suffering brings out in us or enables in us is that it develops empathy. Uh, when I sat down with that couple and, and just were just talking about their finances, um, I could get it. <laughs> just uh, I, I knew exactly where they were. I knew what they were feeling. I knew exactly how they'd got there and, and, and how to get out of it and, and, and what it required to do that because I'd been there myself. Um, it's it's the, the ability to just to sit with them and to start with, you know what, I've done exactly what you've done and let me show you how I've done it and how I got out of it is so much, I think, so much more um, powerful than, oh, look, I don't know what that experience is like, but I guess if I was you, I would do this. It just, it doesn't mean you can't do that or have wisdom in a situation, even if you haven't experienced it, but to know, to be able to sit with someone in their circumstances and, and relate to them and then help to lead them out of it is just so much more powerful, I think, than, than you could do in any other way. Uh, I said, spoke, talked last week about some experiences I had quite a few years ago. And again, going through those experiences as a nightmarish as it was, the ability now to be able to sit with people in similar circumstances and just say, you know what, I get it. It doesn't take away their pain, but if if I was if if they were to receive advice, they're so much more likely to receive it from somebody who can at least empathize with with where they're at. And so again, we see this through the Gospels, and we see that we see this through the New Testament, and it really is at the heart of Jesus on the cross. The suffering and the pain and the sin and everything that he experienced is meeting us where we are so that he can say, I can show you how to get out of that because I've been there myself. So we get this great example in 2 Corinthians 1. And I'll read the passage and then we'll set up a little bit of the context for it. It's Paul says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our affliction, so that we may be able to comfort those who are in affliction. So it's not God takes away our pain. He lets us go through all of the affliction. That that word there, thlipsis, is the word we saw before um, that turns up frequently in the New Testament. God comforts us in our inevitable flipsis for the purpose that we can then comfort others who go through the same thing. 
So he's actually allowing us to do it for the benefit of others, not even necessarily for ourselves, but so that we can be a benefit to other people with the comfort which we ourselves are comforted by God. So God lets us go through these things. He brings us the comfort, but in overflow, so that out of that overflow, we can help other people as well. It's not even all for us. It's actually for other people. And so Paul says, this is one of the great characteristics of God. This is one of the great things that we should praise God for, is that he allows us to go through this. For as we share abundantly in Christ's sufferings, so through Christ we share abundantly in comfort too. So our suffering is our experience in Christ on the cross. We go through that same suffering so that what Christ experienced, we can then pass on to others. If we are afflicted, it's for your comfort and salvation. It's not even for our benefit. We go through hard times and we don't even get the benefit of saying, hey, that was for us. No, actually, it's for you, Paul says. It is for your comfort, which you experience when you patiently endure the same suffering that we suffer. Our hope for you is unshaken, for we know that as you share in our sufferings, you will also share in our comfort. So that's profound in and of itself. God lets us go through hard times so that he can comfort us, so that we can then share that comfort with other people. So it's not even about us primarily. It's about those that we get to help by going through that experience in the first place. But there's another dimension of this passage which we don't see, which is really quite remarkable. So the suffering that Paul is talking about here isn't some generic, oh, we all just go through hard times sometimes. No, no. Paul had actually just been through absolute hell with the Corinthian church. So if you remember a couple of weeks ago, we talked about um, <clears throat> some offense that Paul that had, uh, that had been caused when Paul refused their, their support. Well, this had led to a massive breakdown in the church. We'll talk about it in a couple of weeks. We'll come into the background of Corinthians. But Paul had just had a massive falling out with the church, a really huge one, to the point where they had gone and replaced him. They'd said to Paul, don't come back. We're going to get new apostles because we don't want you here anymore. And they'd accused him of embezzlement. They'd accused him of stealing from the church. Like it had got really, really ugly. And to the point where when he went to confront them about it, they kicked him out of the church. They, they actually drove him out of the church. It was a really ugly situation that happened between 1st and 2nd Corinthians. In fact, the whole reason why we have a 2nd Corinthians is because of the failure of 1st Corinthians and the struggles that he went through. But again, we'll talk about that in a few weeks. But the point is, this suffering that they've been through is actually the suffering that came about. So Paul went through this hard time. He was rejected by the Corinthians, but then they reconciled and now they're grieving because of what they've done. So the grief they're experiencing now is the regret for the way that they treated Paul in the first place. And so what Paul's saying is that we go. I've gone through that experience so that I can comfort you for something you did to me. So you hurt me. I then was reconciled with you. You, The suffering you caused me was unbearable. You did that to me, but then God strengthened me through that so that I could then take that comfort that he gave me, that you caused, but he gave me, so that I could then use that comfort to go and comfort you who caused me the harm in the first place. So it wasn't even like some, oh, I know where you guys are at. I've been through something like that several years ago. No, no, no. You did the harm, and now God's comforting me through that harm so that I can comfort you who did the harm in the first place. 
I mean, you talk about the ultimate Christ model. Christ died for our sin so that he could then come back to us and say, I went through the pain for your sin that you first caused me, and now I'm going to use what I went through to bless you and to comfort you, even though you did it to me in the first place. It's just unbelievable. It's it's just unthinkable um, how just how crazy that is. But that's the Christian message. Christ died on the cross for what we did to him so that he could then comfort us even though we did it to him in the first place. That is the ultimate humility that the Christian message brings. But that is what is at the core of the message. And at the core of Christian ministry is our ability to sit with somebody in their pain. It's the ability to sit with somebody and say, I've been here, let me show you how I got through it. But the only way we can do that and do that with any integrity is to have have gone through it first of all ourselves. Probably one of my favourite um, passages is Romans 5, 2 to 5. I mean, I, all of the New Testament is good, but this is probably one that stands out to me. Um, it says, it's Paul saying, through him we also, sorry, through him we've also obtained access by faith into his grace in which we stand. And we rejoice in hope of the glory of God. Not only that, but we rejoice in our sufferings. Just hang on, hang on a second. We rejoice in our sufferings. So it's not even just that we're going to go through sufferings, but we actually rejoice in them. Now, that's backwards by any standards, but certainly by the standards of the prosperity message that says we should never have sufferings ever. Paul's saying, oh, no, we're not just not only we're going to have them, we should rejoice in them. So we should rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance and endurance produces character and character produces hope and hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. And so another uh, tenet or another uh, facet of suffering is that it develops character. It, It develops a better version of ourselves. So look at look at how Paul's sort of unfolds this. First of all, he says rejoice in our sufferings. Why? Because suffering, first of all, produces endurance. Uh, see, the thing about us is that we it's very we we we're very good at starting things. Um, we're, we're very often we we like to start new projects. We get a uh, enthusiastic about a new exercise routine or a new diet or you know we've always we're always good at starting these new ideas and these new projects but it's we're very often very bad at finishing them to actually see them through to the end you know we we we, we've got this we get this start with this burst of enthusiasm and we're all for it for a couple of days or, or whatever but then we go through a hard time or we find it a little bit difficult and we just go, you know what, I, maybe that wasn't, maybe that was just a, a fantasy. You know, it's a, it was a New Year's resolution that uh, was probably a bit of a silly thing to think in the first place. Um, but the, we always sort of, we, we hit that obstacle. And the real point when we hit that obstacle is, do you really want to see this thing through? Was it just all talk that you, you, it's easy to start it, but do you actually mean this? Do you actually really want to see this thing through to the end? And the only way you're going to know that is when you meet that first obstacle to actually go through it, to actually get over that hurdle. It's like if you want to start to 
work out, if you want to go to the gym. I remember quite a few years ago, I woke up and realized I need to start doing some exercise. Um, I've been very lazy. I just sort of take for granted a good metabolism, but I knew that I've, I've just got to get some exercise into my routine. And I knew the only way was to do that was to just to do it every single day, at least for the first 40 odd days. And they say that it takes 40 days to establish a habit. And so I just, I've got to go to the gym every day for 40 days just to make that a part of my routine. And, you know, so the first day I wake up with all sorts of enthusiasm. Yeah, I'm excited. I'm going to be a gym junkie now and I'm going to be all for the gym. But after three or four days, it gets really hard when you add in a new thing to your routine, you start in the day earlier. And particularly that I started in the middle of winter. Um, So walking, the gym was walking distance. I'm going to walk. I'm going to get the extra exercise by walking to the gym. And it was freezing cold. It was just absolutely freezing. It's like, I don't want to get out of bed. I don't want to get get out of these warm blankets, let alone go to the gym and push myself through all of this exercise. But that's when I knew. That was the moment I knew, actually, this is the real test. It's easy to start. It's easy to say, I'm going to do this thing, but it's an entirely different thing to get through that first hurdle. And to my credit, I did. And I pushed in for the 40-odd days that are required, and I was there every day. And so now it's just part of my habit. It's just part of my routine to go to the gym. And I can missed for a couple of weeks. In fact, I did for the last couple of weeks because I was so sick a few weeks ago. But it's very easy to get back into it because it's just a part of what I do. Anyway, so the point of that is that suffering produces endurance. It's easy to start something and it's easy to do something when it's easy. But the challenge is when it gets hard. It's easy to do life when everything's going well for you, but is it can you still do it when you go through that hard time? Do you still have the capacity to keep moving? Well, that requires endurance. And the only way that you develop endurance is to push through that difficulty, to push that through that initial obstacle. That's where the endurance comes from. And that's where the real strength comes from. Uh, I found this great quote, and I cannot remember for the life of me. I think it was Simon Simonek who said it, but I'm not going to take credit for it. But it is a great quote, and whoever said it, credit to them. He says, sometimes the difference between the place where you are and the place where you could be is the pain you're unwilling to endure. I'll say that again. Sometimes the difference between the place where you are and the place where you could be is the pain you're unwilling to endure. Now, I'm not even going to try to unpack that. I think that's just absolutely brilliant. Where you could be to where you are is the difference is just what you're not willing to go through. That's just Brilliant. And that really is exactly what Paul's talking about here is that um, suffering produces that endurance that enables us to, to move forward and to actually go through those hard times. But he doesn't stop there. He says, first of all, suffering produces endurance. But then secondly, endurance produces character. So this word character is the word, the Greek word dokume. So it's, it's literally means it's the result that comes through stand in the test. It's, it can mean a test as in a test at the end of a, a semester, but it's also the result that comes through that. So when you do a test and you pass the test, what you have proven is that you have understood the thing. You've proven yourself as now having an understanding of whatever it is. It's one thing to say, oh, I, I know everything about that, but then you need to be tested on it to prove that you know the thing. And so what this endurance does is that it develops in you this, this character, this, this endurance, but also the, um, you, you demonstrate that 
you've got the capacity to do it. You, you demonstrate or you show uh, you've been tested and you've proven yourself through the test. The obstacles come up to you. It's tested you. You've endured through it and you've, you've proven that you've got that character about you. It's when you actually finish the thing. It's not about just starting the thing, but it's actually about finishing the thing and being able to say, I did that. I am that. I've become that because I've endured through the hard times. And so then finally, he says that this character, this provenness, this testedness produces hope. What is hope? Well, hope is the confidence that even though you can't see the outcome, you know it's going to work out. It's, it's, the, it's the knowing that it's going to be okay. And so when you apply this to the Christian context, it's knowing, it's the faith, it's the hope, it's the knowing that God will be able to do the thing. You come into a hard time and you know that God's got your back. I, I use this example. So <clears throat> I, um, you know, that example I said before about when we went through those financial difficulties, I, for, to, to get through that, to overcome that thing in me that had brought me to that place, I needed to go through this particular circum through this particular process and so first of all we was I was suffering I was there was pain that was being caused by my financial stupidity and so I needed to set the my the challenge in myself to overcome that well there were obstacles all, all along the way get a couple of weeks into it and you're trying to save for a house and it's like I gotta save tens of thousands of dollars and I gotta couple hundred bucks in the bank. Like that's never going to happen. I just give up. I'm just going to forget about buying a house. I'm just going to go and spend the money on something else. Or, you know, it's like, well, I, I don't want to be paying off this bill over here. I want to be spending the money. You're tested all the way through. And every time you're tested, you have to overcome that. You have to get through that obstacle or that temptation um, and get through to the other side. And so those, those were the things that were developing the character. But then when we got the house, when I got through that financial difficulty and had really been changed, what I had then was that testedness, that provenness that I could do it, that, that I, I didn't have to be that person I used to be. I'm this new person. So it wasn't just that it developed a, uh, a different person in me when it came to dealing with finances, but it also created in me a hope. What it meant from that day forward was that since then, we've had plenty of financial challenges and we've gone through hard times financially, but every single time we faced those circumstances, we could walk into them saying, we know God's going to get us through this. We just know because he's done it before. We've gone through those hard times. God's helped us through those hard times and he's developed in us a character and a hope and a confidence that if he's done it before, he'll do it again. It's as simple as that. We know that God has got our backs through this because he's had our backs every single time. But the only way that we knew that was by going through those hard times in the first place. So again, one of my absolute favorite passages in the New Testament, that one of the purposes of suffering, one of the purposes of these hard times is to develop in his character that really just can't be developed in any other way. So I think the final thing that suffering produces or one of the benefits, I guess, of going through these hard times is that it develops a witness. 
Uh, so first Peter three thirteen it says now who now who is sorry now who is there to harm you if you are zealous for what is good but even if you should suffer for righteousness sake you will be blessed have no fear of them nor be troubled um, there's that perseverance uh, but in your hearts honor Christ the Lord as holy always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope so there's the perseverance the character the hope that is in you yet do it with gentleness and respect having a good conscience so that when you are slandered those who revile your good behavior in Christ may be put to shame for it is better to suffer for doing good if that should be God's will than for doing evil so Peter's making it really clear here. As Christians, you're going to go through a hard time by virtue of the fact that you're Christians. And that was especially true in the first century. You're going to suffer as a Christian just by virtue of the fact that you're a Christian. It is completely unjust. It is completely evil. It is the enemy just trying to destroy you. Um, there's no justice in it whatsoever. Uh, you don't deserve it. It's the unfortunate consequence of being a Christian in these circumstances. And he says, it's going to happen. It's just the reality of being a Christian. And it's it's a, a case of when it happens, not if it happens, but when it happens, how are you going to respond? And what he's saying here is that when you do go through this, deal with it with gentleness and respect. When you're slandered, he says, those who revile your good behavior in Christ might be put to shame. Respond with grace, right? Respond with Christ, with God's goodness, Respond with humility. Respond with a, a, a Christian attitude, which won't stop them from doing it, but make them go, hang on a second, you know, you should be responding with outrage. You should be responding with, with vitriol because of what we're doing to you, and yet you're just cool about it or you're, or you're, you're, you're graceful about it. Really what it's demonstrating is Christ on the cross, you know, if anyone had a reason to scream about injustice, it was Jesus, an innocent person crucified for us because of us. Yet he doesn't scream about the injustice. He doesn't call down curses on everybody doing it to him. Instead, actually, what does he say? He says, Father, forgive them for they don't know what they're doing. Right? He forgave the people that did it to him. Peter's saying that's the model for us. Sometimes it is just unfair. And the standard response is, oh, this is so unfair and cry outrage. Peter says, don't do that. No, no, don't do that. Even in those circumstances, show grace. Show Christ's love in those circumstances. And what that is going to do is make people take a step back and go, what is different about you? What is it about you? Where did that attitude come from? That's not how you should normally respond in those circumstances. In other words, it develops a witness. It demonstrates the love and the grace of Christ, even in those difficult times, when it is just genuinely unfair, unjust, and it just sucks. Well, I hope that's been helpful these last couple of weeks. Um, there's plenty more we can talk about with these, and we'll certainly do that in, in future episodes. But for the meantime, I hope that's been somewhat insightful into the place of suffering certainly within the New Testament and, and what that can do or what that can mean for us today. Um, beginning next week, we're going to start to look at a new series, which is looking at the backgrounds of Paul's letters. So we're going to start with Paul's life as a letter writer, and then we're going to set up some of the background of 
Paul's, all of Paul's key letters. Uh, and just a real sort of reading strategy, I guess, for, uh, for, for how to deal with those. So I'm really excited about that. Hopefully that's going to be helpful for you. Um, but in the meantime, thank you so much for joining me and I'll see you next time. All the best. Thank you.